Hello, my friends. Today, I want to give a special shout out to Rex at Logarithm, Ben at BIM Object, and Darren at Animal Logic. If you don't know, Animal Logic is the company behind all the animation of the Lego movies. All of these companies are dedicated to creating better leaders. So, a special thank you to all of you. Now, if you want your team stacked with humble, outcome-driven, technically capable people, then you'll want to set up a CLEAR review. CLEAR stands for Complementary Leadership Evaluation and Review, and we created it for teams and technology leaders just like you. So here is what you'll leave the CLEAR review with. A CLEAR step-by-step -step plan tailored to your exact situation. Tactical insights on how you can apply these skills immediately and a review of your leader's abilities so you can see how your team stacks up to 500 other teams that are just like yours. And we'll answer all of your questions about how to create better leaders faster. Remember, great leaders grow companies. Visit leaderbits.io forward slash clear to set up your clear review today. Now, get excited because today we are talking to Jeremy King, the CTO at Walmart, and we discuss building trust with your stakeholders by being open and transparent. Their approach to hiring over 4,000 technologists in just under two years. And what metrics Jeremy finds most useful to keep track of. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Oh, so I'm, where are you calling in from today? I'm from California today. I, uh, I'm on the road quite a bit, but, uh, but this week um, I've got a few days in California and a few days on the road. How much time do you spend traveling? I'm on the road quite a bit, actually. About a half of our team is in Arkansas, and I've got about 2,000 out here in California, and then there's another 1,000 in Bangalore, so, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm all over the place. That's exciting. You get to go around and see all the different teams in the different areas. Yeah, it's good. We just opened a new building down in Carlsbad, California, and uh, that office is great. This, the team is wonderful, but it's, you know, it's like five minutes from the beach. It's just, you, you wonder why the entire Silicon Valley doesn't live down there, you know? It's, uh... Right? I, I'm lucky enough. I live in a beach vacation town in Florida. No, great. Yeah, so everybody's always so excited about the beach, but I'm a native here, so just driving to the store, you see the beach. Right. Yeah. So is there a lot of good mountain biking out in California? There's a lot of really good mountain biking out here, yes. Yeah. It's a little wet. I didn't, uh, I didn't go this weekend cause it's, it's been really wet and the trails get pretty trashed when you go out on them. But, uh, but yeah, this time of year we get about a, a month of rain and then it'll be dry and beautiful the rest of the year. Now, is it clay or dirt? It's dirt. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, the Santa Cruz mountains is where the bulk of people go, um, sort of all the way down from San Francisco, um, down, you know, south of Gilroy, there's just beautiful mountain trails. And so they're up in the, uh, up in the hills and you get the redwoods and you get, um, the over, you know, once you get up on top of the mountain, you can see the ocean on one side and Silicon Valley on the other. It's just, it's surreal up there. It's a beautiful place. Now I haven't ever been to the West coast for mountain biking, but I mountain bike a lot on the East coast. And, but I have been to the West Coast in the Vegas area for hiking, like I think oh, it was yeah. Red Rock or something we yeah, hiked. Yeah, Red Rock and all that out there. Oh, that was amazing. There's have you been out there? 
pieces out there. I've never been to Red Rocks, but I, I've heard the same thing with like Joshua Tree and all those um, places. Just incredible, right? It's uh, yeah, it's something on, on my list. I've gone to Grand Canyon all through the South, but not uh, not to those places. I'd love to try them. So I saw that you were a part of the CTO forum. Yes. Yeah. You know so, Bashir and the team there? I have not, but what I'm noticing is from the popularity from the podcast is I'm started going to these events and conferences and I found out that there's all these forums of these great technology leaders that collect together in their cities. And I saw that you were on one of them and I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I, I actually love the CTO forum for a bunch of reasons. Most of the, mostly, it's funny, we, we laugh when we're there that CTOs don't have a lot of cohorts inside the company, if you will, you know, like where the, you know, the sales and marketing guys often will, you know, get together and the CEO is usually an ex, uh, you know, an ex sales guy or something. But the CTO is sort of typically around the executive table, you know, are, are usually the only technologist uh, there. And so um, these kind of forums, we, we talk about we can go and cry on each other's shoulders about our, our the woes of being a CTO, but but also that it's great because you see in this conference in particular because largely it's Silicon Valley based you get um, you get the Google the Facebooks the the YouTubes the um, the uh, Netflix and LinkedIn um, and then you've got sort of the people who are sort of in the middle of the pack you know take the sort of the Walmarts of the world. And then you've got the people that are really on, you know, a technology transformation, sort of all three of them together, all talking about challenges of digital transformations and, you know, sort of seeing what the, what the industry is, is doing. It's wonderful. And, and oftentimes these, these company, like I really do not like trade shows. Um, I had to, I had to go work trade shows when I was in enterprise software for a while. And that'll, that'll turn you off in your own right. But also, you know, how many vendor pitches do you want to hear in one day, you know? And, uh, right. and, uh, and these forums, it's more about idea sharing than it is about pitches, if you know what I mean. Like, here's, here's oh, yeah. where, you know, and you can compare and contrast, you know, different vendors from each other without, you know, you know, and you get the real download, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. So I had a transition, right? So from developer into the CTO space. And one of the big things I realized in that transition is at first, I looked at the whole networking social thing as, oh, no, you just got to be writing code all the time. You have to always be improving, improving your craft and 100% focus on this 24-7. And then I realized that you can't get far without relationships. Like, it's always about the people. And so when I see forum groups like this that collect together, I always like to talk about the importance of you know, networking and relationships. So if there is, well, right now, I guarantee that there's some individual, right, going from that developer to CTO position or just developer to team lead. And, and can you talk to them about the benefits and your career importance of, of networking and relationships? It is an excellent point. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, the engineer CTO is kind of, uh, um, you know, sort of background is oftentimes they're the sort of introverted uh, engineer type. And they don't understand the the value of that type of relationship. And I, I totally agree. I can't tell you the number of times I've picked up the phone. As a matter of fact, just last week I was I'm doing some work on edge computing, and and uh, I picked up the phone and I I, I called a buddy of mine and said, Hey, who who knows like sort of the intricacies of you know data center space and how much profit is being made in these sort of data centers and that sort of thing. And I'm like, Oh, we have this one guy. You know, here, pick up the phone and call him. And you know, and you get you know a, a question that you know, might have cost, you know, uh, you a fortune to go out and, uh, and get a consultant or whatever, and, and you just build these networks um, yourselves. So, uh, so those kind of forums really 
introduce that. But I, uh, back to my point, I think everybody goes through their own digital transformation journeys in their own way and uh, their own speed. Uh, in some cases, even companies that are, um, you know, not very tech savvy, you know, may have, you know, found some, you know, technology that's really helping them transform faster. Uh, and then, of course, you want to know, you know, what's going on when, you know, people are negotiating uh, contracts. So um, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place to, to do that, not to mention the, uh, you know, the camaraderie of, of the whole thing. I love it. I love getting together with the people. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Now, so I would say it's understated to what you would imagine it would be. You go out there, you get connected with a good group of people, and then you have essentially like work friends, like professional friends, some become friend friends, but it's, it's just unbelievable the amount of change and opportunity that can come once you have the network. Now, speaking of people, do you happen to know uh, Yazir Anwar? Uh, is, he, well, is he from Verizon? Is that right? So, so you have overlap at Walmart Labs. Oh, you're talking around. about, oh, yeah, sir. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah. You're talking about um, uh, Macy's, right? And uh, William Sonoma? Yeah, yeah. So he was uh, Macy's and he went William Sonoma? Absolutely, yes. I, I know him very well. Yeah, he, he, uh, he and I, I just congratulated him in his new job, right, uh, over there. I think he's only been there a, a little while. But yeah, he worked on the, uh, the Walmart Labs team early on and did some work on the platform side. So yeah, he, he, he worked for a good friend of mine, but I knew him very well. I'm interested in Walmart Labs because a number of really great leaders have come out of there. So yeah. we do extensive research on all of our guests and get to know everybody and we keep notes. And so that, for example, when you were coming on the show, your experience as Walmart Labs, our team identified the overlap and experience, and then we said, "Hey, we gotta ask him if he if he knows, you know, Yazir." Um, so I'm curious, uh, what what do you think Walmart Labs is doing that's producing a lot of these great leaders? You know, I, I think um, it's it's a it's a good question, and I think what um, what most people don't recognize is the the amount you can learn about scaling in particular. I mean. I talk about this all the time with vendors is I, I get these solutions that, you know, are, are good for, you know, either very small companies or, or, or companies that have a small footprint physically. And then you look at Walmart and we're talking about, you know, every system we have is generating petabytes worth of data. You know, every system that we integrate with the store, you have to, you have to, you know, not only look at, you know, all 5,000 stores in the U S but 10,000 stores internationally. So you're, you're looking at, pretty much everything we look at um, has a scaling com uh, component to it. And as a result, we, um, you know, we teach people scale. And, and I was like that at eBay as well. And, you know, people look at, um, you know, companies who have gone through the scaling pain problems before and, and, and use that. You know, Yasser, and, and there's a number of other leaders that were local here. And I, I think, you know, we also did a, a pretty, um, interesting job on sort of the digital transformation side, even the name Walmart Labs was trying to convey the fact that um, not only are we a research part of the arm of the company, but we're delivering um, solutions for our customers um, in, a, in, a, in a new way that, uh, you know, that Walmart hadn't, you know, really thought of before. They, I, it's not fair to say that, but, um, but technology has always been a part of Walmart, but we don't, usually get credit for that um, externally, right? So, you know, we had to do a fair amount of branding and just to get people to, to understand that I'm hiring for, you know, the latest data scientists, the latest, um, you know, architecture, cloud architecture folks, the, 
you know, um, everything that we touch, um, you know, has a, has a, a scaling factor to it that, uh, that people are compelled to. So, so I think just spending a lot of time in the media also gives us, uh, gets, uh, you know, attention from, uh, from some companies. So speaking of scaling, I read online that you're planning on hiring 2000 technologists last year, right? Yeah. This and year. So yeah. this year. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know, so we have CTOs of all levels. So for the, for the higher level CTOs, right? For the ones that are more enterprise area like you are at, what did your involvement actually look like tactically to, to deploy that? Did you work with uh, HR team? Like how, how did that process go for you? Yeah, we, we spent a, a lot of time last year sort of figuring out how to, how to scale the organization. That as we've gone through the digital transformation part of, of the company, what we're really seeing now is as we've lessened our, our, um, our reliance on some legacy technologies, we've been able to move much faster um, as an organization. And so when you look at investments across the board in, in, in the company, um, you know, we have, you know, we can invest in building new stores and remodeling stores and to, um, you know, store labor rates, um, all, all the things um, that a company goes through when they're, when they're doing an investment profile. And what they've really seen over the last couple of years is that, you know, a dollar put in Walmart labs and investing in technology has returned, um, you know, money back to the company uh, faster. So we, we tried uh, this last year to, um, to accelerate our hiring and, and did very well. We hired about 1,700 people last year. And the, the people that we brought on board made huge leaps um, very quickly in, in places like uh, forecasting and replenishment and our supply chain business. And we launched a, a new uh, a redesigned version of our website and, and uh, a number of in-store apps. And the company is starting to see the output of, of that engineering effort um, you know, turn into to really fruitful um, um, uh, benefits for the company. And so we're, we talked about again this year, like what other things we have, you know, there's an, there's every corporation has a never ending list of things that they want to go build. Um, and it really, the question was how many more people could we actually go get? So, so we're going to, we're going to try and get another 2000 this year and, um, and we're well underway, uh, to do that. But it is, it is, um, as you said, you know, I, I don't believe in sort of the, the hiring practice where you just bring on a cohort of a hundred people and then they go figure out which, you know, part of the company they want to go work in. You know, we, we work fairly traditionally, but say, Hey, we want people who are passionate about supply chain or, or passionate about merchandising or passionate about data science or passionate about um, the consumer front end or mobile apps. And we really focus our, our recruiting effort on, on those pieces so that um, when you get into the organization, you really love what you do. And uh, you can really make a, a big difference. Um, so you, you always meet the hiring manager. You always understand what the goals and objectives of the, of the uh, organization are. And uh, you can make a lot of progress on, on, uh, on hiring. So we're, 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 uh, we're in interview um, uh, craze right now. We're doing, um, you know, some interview days and things like that. that I think, you know, often companies can be successful at as well to bring on uh, several people, but it's, it's, it's going to be a long, long uh, ride. I mean, obviously there's a lot of people out there, but the more and more people hear about what we're doing at Walmart, the easier it is to get people through the front door. If you know what I mean? So what are you most excited about? What's something that would attract people listening to this podcast, some technology that you're working on or. Oh boy. It's, uh, it's across the board. I, I, I'm, I'm responsible for really four or five main areas. So 
as I outlined, um, we really have been focused a ton on, on the front end. So online grocery has been the biggest growth area of, of Walmart in the last couple of years. So we've, we've doubled the size of that team and it's really developing the app, but also the consumer experience across the board. So we've built, a, you know, a, a, sometimes I say we've built our own ride sharing application um, because we're, we're seeing not only customers coming to the store, but we're also um, working with third parties to build a delivery service as well. So um, that we, we, we have last mile delivery services in many areas. Um, we, we've built, um, you know, notification for pickups. So when you, when you come, when you're headed to the store, um, you check in and we can follow you as you, as you arrive. And that way you're literally sitting in the parking lot for, you know, 30 seconds as we come out and, and put your groceries into the car. And, you know, those, those kind of um, experiences are not always, you know, customer facing from the UI perspective, but um, they're super compelling on the back end uh, perspective. Um, so we, we're building, we're building all those pieces. We're building um, a new front end apps um, for, for grocery. And that includes things like personalization, um, you know, and the, the fun part about this job is you're intermingling your store shopping experience with your online experience. So if you've been to Walmart in the last, you know, six months, uh, you know, I know, you know, what you buy on Wednesdays. I know what you buy on Fridays. I know what you pick up on the weekends. And I can make that, those recommendation um, engines for you online uh, based on what I think you're going to run out of and that sort of thing. So how do I take that offline data and marry it with the online experience so that when you're coming to shop for sometimes 50 or 100 items, you know, how do I make that shopping experience super easy? And that's, you know, the personalization recommendation engine and just the overall UI of the experience. You know, what do we got this week? Uh, you know, when it's, when it's, uh, when it's Thanksgiving, or, you know, you're ordering pumpkins and turkeys and when it's, uh, you know, Christmas, you, you got your, um, your uh, hot chocolates and your um, and your candies and stuff, right? So we can we can make those kind of experiences much much easier. I've got something for you. Yeah, bring it. Okay, so we geek out, we build products, right? That's you, you have a programming background as well, right? That's like yeah. your yeah. So I had in this office, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago on a Friday afternoon, we were just making stuff up, right? Just a fun brainstorming session. Of, of products and ideas. And this grocery thing actually came up. And so the idea was that it would know everything that I buy frequently, right? That I like to eat. And then it would also know, it would put me into some persona or some category with people who have similar tastes as I do. And then when I wanna try something new in a new category, like let's say I wanna try a new pasta or something, it would tell me based off of that little persona, that little network I'm in, which pasta I would like the most i see so like a, a little uh, a group a group uh um would, would people know each other or you're just saying you would no. be part of the cohort yeah the data. you just pay attention to what products oh, i'm buying what food i'm eating and then you can either suggest new foods based on what other people who have my similar taste patterns like absolutely right or if i want to try something in a new category you could tell me which like if, if I'm going to try like 10 different types of pastas, but it knows all the other food I eat and all the other things I like, and it knows that all these, you, you get it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah the, um, the sort of cohort analysis on that and sort of people who like this also like this, um, yep. you know, is, is, um, is something we've been doing for a while. I think we, I agree with you. And I think it, it the interesting thing is a lot of this becomes more hyper local. 
you know, right now, you know, it's uh, raining and 50 degrees in California. My son's in Indiana at Purdue and it was minus 30 there, right? You know, so, you know, people are buying, um, as a matter of fact, I think we saw some trends uh, on uh, soups um, going up in, in the sort of cold fronts as we're going on. We're selling more soup across the country than we normally do, right? Uh, and that sort of hyper-local um, can also be a really interesting aspect as well, what people's tastes are, but also weather-related events and who knows what else, um, you know, what's fresh and that sort of thing. We run into this a ton. Walmart is, is the biggest supplier of organics and, and fresh and frozen produce uh, and meats in the world. And we need, um, local growers and what's locally available you know we just can't get enough of it organics in particular how do we get more so how do you how do you make um you know a recommendation hey we've got some really great local um fresh um uh kale or whatever that's grown locally um how do you get that out to the to the consumer do you know we've got we've got it available so that that's become, that's where the scale turns really interesting as well where you're not talking about just packaged goods you're talking about how do i get this in a fresh experience that people will love. No, that's like, that excites me as the future. I want to, you know, uh, fresh peaches down at the store. Yeah. Or, and then I could just one tap last mile delivery. Boom. Now it's just at my house. Yeah, absolutely. We, we talked about this a lot. Two years ago, we, we uh, celebrated some local growers and I think the woman was a watermelon grower and uh, she has, um, she's a big supplier to Walmart now, but when she was first getting started, she just had the one field and one truck and, you know, was, you know, driving to the Walmart to, to drop off their, her local, uh, um, her local goods. But how do you make sure that information is getting out? Um, and that ties all the way back into the supply chain. So I've talked a lot about the customer experience stuff, but the supply chain and merchandising parts of the, of this job are almost the place where it's even more compelling. And I, I've talked a lot about where data science and machine learning are gonna make the biggest transition. Everybody loves talking about the personalization engines and sort of recommendation engines on the front end, but it's really about things like, like I was describing, like how do you price this stuff? Um, how do I make sure I can get enough of it? You know, getting my replenishment you know, more uh, predictable, if you will, um, so I can, I can smooth out my supply chain and make sure I'm having the freshest, best um, stuff in the, in, the, um, in, the, in the stores at all times. And we're, I, I think that will make the biggest change for, um, for retailers. Uh, uh, machine learning will have the biggest impact on merchandising and supply chain for retailers um, than, um, than any, any other area. So, and I, and I think as it's part of Walmart's core values anyway, we, our whole drive for technology is to not only build great customer experiences, but to drive costs out of the whole system. The goal is to effectively continue to lower the cost for consumers so that we can continue um, to, to, drive, um, to drive Walmart as a low price leader. So anything I can do on the technology side to drive costs out, you know, is just part of the Walmart strategy overall. In my mind, when you were describing that, I was imagining like drones flying over like, you know, grandma's crops predicting yields based off of like image recognition. I have seen a lot of those. I, I, I know a lot of farmers these days are doing that type of work. And, and I agree. The, the, um, the ability to predict freshness is something that we look at a lot. And, you know, typically that's, you know, farmers are, for generations are going to know, hey, this thing's going to be pickable and, you know, and, uh, but uh, your point is right about how do you micro water things and so that the entire field is ripening at the same rate and these sorts of things are, are pretty compelling. And I think as we, 
we talk about things like um, food waste and how much waste happens in the in the supply chain overall. The better we can do that, the better we can feed America and keep the, our prices down, right? And that's that's the key because so much is just wasted in the supply chain um, as they're getting out of the fields. There's some really good work going on there. Have you seen any of the startups that are doing the fully autonomous organic growth of, I think they got like, le they can do lettuce and yes. some other basic things down. Yeah, we just had, um, we have a, a kickoff meeting every year um, that we call YBM year beginning meeting. Um, and la this year I was just down in Houston and there was uh, this sort of organic farmers that are growing up, you know, and, you know, they have these, uh, they're almost chain. They almost look like these big chains and, and they're, they're growing, um, you know, lettuce in this case, um, upwards. And I, I think that's going to be, um, that's going to be a, a game changer for, um, for the, cause we talked about if you could build these containers, I've seen also, um, some companies that are building, uh, containers that we were talking about, you could put them in Walmart parking lots or on the roof of the building and you could get really fresh and you just basically take the supply chain out of it. You know, you, somebody goes up in the morning and picks the, uh, you know, picks the lettuce from the parking lot and then walks it into the store for you to buy it. I mean, talk about how great that would be. So that there's a, there's a lot of um, innovation there. And again, the biggest problem that we're having is how to scale that. You know, I want to, I need to do that in 5,000 locations and <laughs> hundred degrees. And sometimes it's minus 30, you yes. know, in our location. So you have to be able to deal with all of those, all those problems. The drone could pick the lettuce and <laughs> exactly. fly it right to your house. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You've gotten to go, you know, Houston, you travel a lot. You've gotten to go to a lot of cool places and do many cool things. Have you ever had the opportunity to go to SpaceX? I haven't actually, I, I would love to. My daughter is, um, is enamored by them and we want to go look at, a, go watch a launch, um, uh, either in Cape, in the Cape or, or down in, in LA where they've been doing them, uh, lately. So no, I, I definitely do want to visit. Have you, have you been down there yourself? No. So here's the thing. So it's my birthday today. So I'm very hey, excited. Happy birthday. All right. Thank you. I'm 31. And this whole podcast and everything grew over the past year. So it was an amazing year, like unbelievable. So surprised by it. And I was thinking, you know, how could I do this next year better, like bigger? And I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk. And so one of the things we're always talking about is what excuse could we have to meet Elon Musk? <laughs> exactly. And we were talking at my birthday dinner this weekend, and I was like looking at the list of upcoming guests, you, CTOs, like GitHub, just Johnson & Johnson, just all these great, huge companies. And I said, you know what? Elon Musk is a nerd. Like, he's geeky like us. I bet he, think it, he would think that it's cool to meet, like if I got a group of like 10 or 12 of no, these cool. yeah. awesome CTOs together, then we could do like a round table at SpaceX, like tour the facility and make sure that we set it up for a day that Musk is there. Yeah, there you go, there you go. The Tesla factory is right right at, uh, across the street from us. Um, and I have seen, I, I don't know if you've ever been in through the tours or any of those things, but no. one of the, when I went and picked up my, my first Tesla, I've now got another one, but um, they show the shop floor and where all the executives sit in the, in the old world. They, they took over the old uh, Numi plant here, which was Toyota's, and I think before that it was Ford. And the interesting part about it is where the executives sit now are laid out completely, um, sort of plainly every there's like 20 desks just sort of sitting out on the shop floor and they all look identical with a computer screen on it and that sort of thing and the only one um the only one that had any difference was there was a there was a motor trend car the year award um uh trophy sitting on the on one of the desks 
And uh, the, the guy who was giving the tour said, oh, yeah, that's, that's Elon's desk right there, right? You know, and he comes in and, uh, and sits right there. I think they now have corporate offices and things. They don't do that anymore. But when he first came out, it is amazing how he's transformed so many industries, right? It's, it's great. I'm a huge fan. So if I, if I manage to get that together, that's something you'd be interested in? I'd definitely be interested, yes. All right, cool. I don't think there's anybody, I was even wondering, I was like, what if we did this? And then we did somebody, like did this with another great technologist. And I was like, there's yeah. pretty much like three people who I could even think of doing this with. And that would be Musk, uh, Gates, and Bezos. Yeah, and got it. so yeah, I think I just think that it would be the the coolest thing. I was like, we'll start with with one. Start, we'll start, with start, start there, yeah. That'll be this year, <laughs> and and we'll see if we can get that together. Awesome. So, advice for first time leaders. It's like a big topic we have on the show. It, you you made the transition. At one point, you were an individual contributor. You became a first time leader. Yeah. What are some of the lessons, the takeaways from that? You know, I, I talk about this a lot when I, when I do, I go back to my alma mater and I, I, I teach a, a, an e-commerce MBA class and, and typically a guest speaker kind of thing. And people always ask me how I got where I was. And, you know, one, one of the things I, I push relatively hard, especially on engineers, is you see a lot of engineers wanting to jump to management early in their career. And I, I really try to push hard back on that to say, please do not join the management ranks um, too early. And what I really mean by that is I, I need, you should build an expertise in something and some part of the, uh, you know, you should be the technical expert for um, Node or Python or some system, some supply chain system or whatever. Because at some point in your career, you've got to be the person who you, people go to to get information, or if you know what I mean, right? And, and so I, I, drive, I try and drive that home because I see so many people wanting to jump to management. So that being said, once they jump to management, then you, you start talking about things like mentoring. And, and, uh, and I think you've, you've covered this on a few of your podcasts. I, I got lucky um, that I had a really strong mentor early who was really hard on me, but also um, you know, had my job. But I, I, I found later that he was actually using me as much as I was using him, you know what I mean? Um, and so don't underestimate your um, experience and your local connection with your team uh, and how important that is to your bosses, if you will, right? Um, and what I mean by that is how's it going culturally? What are people, um, you know, quote unquote complaining about? Um, what are people thinking that's going well? And, you know, what's the sort of overall pulse of the organization? And that, you know, for leaders, as, as you get more senior, you know, I find myself spending quite a bit of time with my sort of uh, mentees. Um, and most of my mentees are, are not managers. Um, some of them are, but um, I, I spend a lot of time with the sort of, um, you know, first, well, mostly senior engineers um, to talk about technology that I want to learn, but also uh, folks who I can rely on to give me the honest truth, right? And most of the, most of the, um, you know, the manager I know just want to cut to the chase and find out like somebody who will tell them what's going on. Don't give me any BS, you know, tell me this is what's really happening. Here's what people think. Here's, you know, because a lot of people are, are trying to, you know, impress the boss and they don't want to tell them bad news. I, I want to hear the bad. And that's the reason I, I need you to tell me what's going on. Right. And so don't underestimate your knowledge there and make sure you can, you can articulate that well in a, in an elevator speech or if you're going to have a half hour meeting. So, so anyway, that's uh, a lot. A lot of people um, 
you know, ask me about, you know, what's the do's and do nots, but I have a few of those, but that's, uh, that's another topic probably. <laughs> so what stands out to you with these engineers, what I gathered from that was um, honest, direct communication, those things, when you see those happening within these senior engineers, that triggers something that, Hey, maybe I'll keep them close, invest some time into them, mentor them. Yes. A lot of people ask, um, obviously, you know, you, I've heard lots of, um, you know, relatively famous people give almost the same speech as I've seen is saying people will come and ask me to be their mentor, but you know, number one, I've never really met them. I don't know, you know, what their really goals are in life and that sort of thing. Would I be even a good mentor? I have no idea. And so, you know, typically I, I, I coach people not to ask for a mentor relationship until they built up some other kind of relationship with them, whether it's, you know, you know, again, I'm asking for expertise or, you know, I, I, um, I, I see them in, in meetings or, you know, talk to them in the hallways, that sort of thing. And you sort of get to know them first before you, you talk about a mentee relationship. I don't mind having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with, with somebody one or two times, but, you know, a mentor relationship is something that really has to be bi-directional, right? And um, it's not always a compatibility uh, there. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I like this question too, because I've never asked someone to be a mentor. Maybe in my head I thought about it, but then I figured that, you know, what's, what would they say to me on this topic? And then I realized, okay, well, I just need to go learn more about the topic. So I have a specific question to ask them that's not going to be frustratingly 101, right. right? And then I figured, oh, there doesn't need to be this official pairing relationship to like ask. All I have to do is come up with a good enough question, go get beat up enough, get some experience. And then when I have some legitimate struggle or inquiry, just go to them and say, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I, this is what I've done. What is your insight? And then everyone's a mentor because they respect the question because they understand your level of competence in the topic. 100%. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I love that. As a matter of fact, the, you're right. And frankly, most you know, leaders want to spend time on that anyway, right? On those kind of, uh, those kind of pieces we have, you know, I always tease my, my poor finance um, partner that, you know, I, the, the, I, the least favorite time I have in my job as CTO is spending time in budget meetings, right? You know, I would rather spend time on mentoring people and, and, uh, and talking about a new technology stack or whatever um, than, than doing that. And so when you, you get, when you get compelled, uh, when somebody comes approaches you with some great question like that, oh, you want to dive in, right? So, yeah, you're 100% correct. You know, find a topic, especially if you know a person's interested in it, um, then you could you could do well at uh, researching that topic, right? Not to schmooze right. the boss or whatever, but you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> no, you're doing it to advance and grow yourself. And Absolutely. By necessity, you need the expert's input, and so when you raise yourself to that level, that you know, it's, it's just amazing. It's, it's that feeling of growth. Now, do you have a favorite metric that you find particularly useful to track? You know, I, I track two main things and I always tell people there's really, um, there's really two things that, uh, that a um, CTO is measured by when you get down to it. I mean, my, my CEO and, and what the company is relying on is to make sure that my systems are up all the time, you know, so what's my system availability is number one priority for the company. So nobody wants to deal with a, with a set of unstable systems that crash all the time or have bugs and that sort of thing. So you can add quality in there, but I really think about it. System availability is, is number one. Number two, um, 
I got, you know, this job because people want me to deliver projects uh, and, and, you know, capabilities for the customer, um, you know, as fast as possible. Right. You know, so, you know, having the, having the reputation and a really high bar for delivery is the second metric. And a lot of people use different um, mechanisms in the old days you were talking about sort of on time delivery of projects and that sort of thing in the new um, sort of product world uh, the last five or 10 years, really talking about time to value. So, Hey, I, I have a, a new set of capabilities I want to deliver for my customer it includes, you know, I want to, I want to take my returns experience, my in-store returns experience from five minutes to 30 seconds, you know, so, or, and it turns out we really want it to be five seconds. So, <laughs> I want I want to see um, I want to see real progress when we can make okay it was five minutes now it's three minutes now it's thirty seconds and so we develop features um, uh, that allow people to pre you know when I'm going to return an item to the store you know I can work on my phone or on my computer at home and say hey I, I really want to return this item and so we give you a little QR code you um, you walk into the store and we have this fast returns line and you just go up to the kiosk and scan your code. And you just hand the item back and you're done. You're out of there, right? So you, it's, it took a five-minute experience down to a five-second experience. And these, these are the kind of things that you want to be. Yes, exactly. So you hand clap for that. What a surprise. Customers love it, right? You know, you, you always hate when you have to go to the store and return something, right? If we can make that an easy experience, it's great. So, um, so that's really the second one, time to value, how to deliver the third one um, that I've added, and I don't not I, I I talk about this with other CTOs is um, the other thing I get all the time is is transparency, and what I mean by that is you know I, I can't tell you the number of times people have said, hey, um, you must have five people in your organization that can go work on X Y Z project, you know, um, and typically I, I you know I can carve out you know one or two of those a quarter to go work on but I really don't have five people available. They, I've got my teams running super hard on lots of um, experiences um, and, and new uh, capabilities for the customer in the supply chain and merchandising. And, um, but the way I'm able to articulate that is I, I use all the, the latest tools, Jira and, and GitHub and all the, all the, the modern tools that allow me to show um, the organization, here's how much I'm spending on each one of these capabilities. So when somebody comes to me and says, hey, you know, how much were you spending on supply chain? I can just go click and here we go, I can show them. And that, that level of transparency gives the organization trust that I'm not squandering money or I've got side projects or you know, I've got projects that I'm not telling them about. You know, and I'm really transparent about when a project isn't going well, I'm really transparent about that it's not going well, we are having some technical difficulties or we underestimated or that sort of thing. And, and being open and transparent, um, you know, gives you a lot of freedom to, to take risks in the organization as well. Well, it's because they, you build your level of trust, right? Just as you were saying earlier, you want what stands out to you is people being honest, direct, and communicating, right? Let me know what the problems are. So I, the same is true with your, with your peers and your stakeholders. If you're Absolutely. transparent to them, now you get three brilliant, you get the CEO and the CFO, you get three brilliant people that yeah. are involved in the problem that you're facing. And it's like, let's just tackle this as a team. But if you, if you hold that back, yeah. and that's how you get in trouble. I always give people a hard time when they say, you know, their, their philosophy is under promise and over deliver. I've never believed in that. I've always been, you know, we are going to push this thing to the edge. If it's, if I can get this ship a month earlier, we were going to push, you know, we're going to push 
to get it shipped a month earlier. It might be a day late or four or five days late, but I push the team. I mean, if somebody else would have sandbagged the date and said, hey, it's going to take us an extra 30 days, and then, hey, they just, you know, they just squandered 28 days because they could have got it done sooner, but they were too, you know, they were too chicken essentially to say they could get it done a month earlier. And they might not have made that month, but they made it a month and two days earlier or, or you know, uh, you know, 28 days earlier. And as a result, you know, I don't want to get dinged by that, you know, um, you know, saying uh, that I, I actually pushed the team really hard and we, we got it out there. So, so the under promise over deliver, I just have never been a believer in. I think if you if you give the team a goal and they know what they're trying to deliver, they're going to go as hard as they can. Well, yeah, because you have your culture right. You've got the right people and in, in the positions. Yeah, people really want to deliver great stuff in the end, right? Um, when when you get the right teams in place, um, you know you you people have a passion for it and they really will deliver. Yeah, I wake up every day. And I'm like, what else is there to do but just work hard and change the world? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just excited. <laughs> What trend is the biggest on your radar that you think, you know, might have an, the largest impact on your team or organization? There's a lot of trends out there, but what trend is coming up the most? Well, I, I've talked about machine learning a lot. And I think I do think um, the thing that has changed Walmart Labs in the last two years is really the ability to get access to to really great um, um, not only compute resources and data, but also access to, you know, pretty standard um, machine learning um, algorithms that will, will make a pretty big change in the world uh, in their, into their particular program. And it, it's really the simplification of, of programming, maybe in general, but I think in, um, in, in particular in access to, um, to the machine learning world. And so what we've really spent the last year on is how do I make sure I'm collecting the right data that is accurate and it's in a place that's easily accessible. And so, um, because what you really see is the second you start doing some work on, on, uh, on machine learning, you start running into data problems. I, I don't have a way to capture the data in real time. And, and, uh, and so as we've moved away from sort of the traditional batch processing systems, we've moved all of our, um, all of our systems to event streams and uh, effectively getting it re everything into real time. And that is, um, that's probably the biggest change we've made in the last two years. As we go forward, I think, um, you know, I think computer vision is going to be applied in so many places. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the, you know, sort of checkout list retail stores, but I think you, you can use it in, in dozens of other places, um, including not only self-driving cars and that sort of thing that, that Elon and those guys are working on, but think about your supply chain, like where trucks are in, in the, in the warehouse, um, where, where, um, you know, where uh, a particular box is, um, you know, how much inventory do you have? Um, we've got obviously our shelf scanning robots that help us look for out of stocks and, and that sort of thing. But, but um, you can look at traffic patterns, uh, you know, you can look at security, um, you know, uh, physical security uh, products and just making the entire supply chain and merchandising um, processes easier. So I think that's, that's a big one. And there's so many wins at, at every single stage. Like, you mentioned finding where the box is in the warehouse, right? Yeah. Which w the sensors on the truck, you know, is it going to break down and get rerouted? Exactly. Like, like, and then all the way down to where does the physical product live on the shelf? Like if you, if you have a robot move products around and find the most optimal position for their sales, that's kind of like a unique idea, right? Yeah. 
it was funny, I was talking to some other CTOs about computer vision in particular, and they were talking about, you know, retrofitting some of these warehouses in, or, you know, think about a factory and how many devices are in, um, in a factory that would have to be retrofitted to have a modern IoT device. And instead, what they did is they put up a video camera that just looks at the unit. You know, it can actually, you know, spot the uh, the red light going on or or the the gauge, and and they can use you know basic computer vision to understand temperature and you know, what is the gauge reading. You know, you can put a you know a ten dollar camera up and and connect that up instead of retrofitting the entire warehouse or the or the manufacturing plant. So those those even basic capabilities like that are going to transform more businesses than we think. I love that. I want to be a part of that meeting where they're all discussing how to retrofit more effectively and someone just walks in and is just like, hey, put up a camera. And then exactly. exactly. <laughs> I love those aha moments. So real quick, as we start to wrap up, what does your average day look like? Oh boy. Uh, when I'm not on a plane, um, I'm an early bird. So I, I usually come in um, the office around 7-ish AM, uh, maybe sometimes a little earlier like today um, and get, uh, you know, sort of ready for the, the work day. So take care of all my emails and mess, uh, anything I need to do, but also prep out what's going on uh, for the day and, and uh, do all my pre-reads and everything I, I need for, for the, the day. Um, the days are filled, uh, like most, um, most folks in my uh, management role, I, I, I'm filled with meetings and strategy. Um, we have um, what we essentially call QBRs or quarterly business reviews, where I, I meet with each one of my um, my engineering teams and our, our product partners, and we go through the sort of strategy and the roadmap of, of each of the of the programs, and uh, typically see where there's hot spots or you know we're not hiring fast enough in this area, and this is a critical um, uh, a critical um, uh, point. So I spend quite a bit of time on that. That's really the fun part of my day. Um, those are, those are the meetings I, I can add the most value in and, and do it, and then. Boy, lately it's been things like space planning, like where are we going to put all these 2,000 people, right? You know, we need new buildings and how much, how fast can we, we grow in Washington, D.C.? Um, how, how many people can get in Carlsbad in California? So we've been doing a lot of uh, planning this time of year. So, so and then I wrap it up, uh, you know, usually around 6 p.m.-ish. Um, you know, I, it's, uh, and then emails the rest of the day, right? So I'm an early person too. Yeah, it's it's important, I think. Most engineers aren't, and so I've found um, not only does it help my commute, but it also gives me two hours of sort of free time in the morning that I can sort of get ready for. And and you know you know you hear people like Gates and a few others talk about you know thinking time, and you know my brain is working the best in in the morning, and so I'm I'm uh, I'm doing all my early strategy work and and that sort of thing first thing in the morning. So I started reading these books and listening to some of the sort of life motivational uh, personal development. And what I noticed is as I went from speaker to speaker to speaker, they had this common thread of getting up early. And so there's this one saying, you know, win the morning, win the day. Mm. And so I decided, all right, well, I have these like three, two or three slack hours at the end of the day, just put them up front, like, put, you know, front load them so that I have quiet personal time when I'm the most fresh and then I go into the day and I did that just for like a trial for a week. And I think it's been seven, seven months now. Oh my God. I'm up at 5am. I go for a run or a walk yeah. outside. I see the stars. I think I get my mind clear. 
Uh, I focus on myself and you know what I want to accomplish and what the thoughts are I have. If I'm writing a book at the time, I'll do my some writing on my walk or something. And then I have my breakfast and I get into the office around 7, 7.30 and get some work work done, you know, all the emails and prep for everything. And then by the time my team gets in at 9 a.m., I'm like, my, ha- my day's halfway over. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, it's funny that you say that because oftentimes, um, because we're a global company, I'll spend either sometime in the morning or in the evening talking to our team in India and then, uh, and then Arkansas is, you know, two hours ahead. So in my California time, so often I'm, you know, I've already had three or four meetings, um, by the time, uh, anybody's showed in the door and, uh, I'm like, Hey, welcome to the day guys. You know, you know, my day's yeah. over, right? <laughs> but no, it is good. I think it's helped a lot as being a leader and I know people do it differently, you know, I, I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts and and uh, and audiobooks as well on the way to work. I have a you know everybody in California has a long commute, so so I spend a lot of time. And if I'm not on the phone with India, um, uh, either in the morning or the evening, I spend a lot of time and and on uh, audiobooks and that sort of thing too. So me too. I'm a huge fan of Audible. Yeah, I get all the books all the time. I got to use Walmart. You got to use Walmart um, Kobo. We did a relationship with Kobo uh, last year. So Walmart eBooks is what I use. <laughs> oh, well, shout out for Walmart eBooks. No, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that that existed. So thank yeah, you. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I just read a, a great book um, called Daring Greatly. If you're into the into oh. the um, into the uh, self reflection, it's it's really good about um, you know how people. Um, not only think about themselves, but how they can portray themselves externally to other folks and how to, how to not shame people, I guess. It's, it's a great book, actually. Really good. So into self-reflection, we have a tool here at the company called ReflectDB. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's we make, awesome. We make entries into the ReflectDB. Oh, yeah. Because we didn't want to call it like a diary or a journal or anything. So we're like, hey, what do we call it? And then one day I'm thinking, like, Let's call it Reflect DB. Let's see if that's the actual product that exists. And I was like, nope, it doesn't exist. Let's, doesn't let's call exist. it that. Yep. Yeah. Got that's it. fantastic. Jeremy, amazing call. Thank you. You brought so much, like a whole new level of value to the audience. I can't thank you enough, my friend. Hey, I appreciate it. It was really nice talking to you, Joel. I, 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 I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I, I'll, I'll keep it up. So it's a, it's, it's, a great, it's a great event. And yeah, get out to the CTO forum sometime. It'll, it'll be excellent. Absolutely. If you ever need anything from me, uh, connection to a past guest on the show, anything at all, you just reach out, we'll hook you up. And then if I get uh, Musk to agree to that, <laughs> I'm in. You got Great. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. You enjoy your day, Jeremy. And I just thank you again. No problem. Nice meeting you. Take care. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.